Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, this world is such a beautiful place. Uh, I think one of the, one of the challenges is, is actually knowing where we're at. Meaning to say, um, you know, I, I, I always think of this example, sort of a crazy example, but can you imagine going into a very fine Italian restaurant and ordering sushi? And the, the, the waiter explaining to you that, you know, this isn't a Japanese restaurant and, and you're just angry that, that, you know, what's going on here? In other words, you're, you don't appreciate where you are. And, and I think for so many people, half the battle, three quarters of the battle is just realizing what, what this world is, where they are, what's going on here. So in order to um, align their expectations, if, if, can you imagine you're walking through an obstacle course and you think that you're walking through a manicured uh, uh, golf course? And you're like, what kind of golf course is this? You know, I'm, 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 I'm avoiding bullets. There's barbed wire. This is the worst golf course I ever, I ever saw. What kind of country club is this? So, so, in other words, aligning expectations, understanding what this world is, is really half the battle. And it, it's harder than we, we think it is. Because we're bombarded with um, an entire society and billions of dollars in our greatest minds or a lot of our greatest minds, devoted to selling us a reality that, that this isn't. Like if you just think of the, the movie industry and the, the advertising industry and, and, and things like that, and, and we tend to think that that's reality and, and I, I must be off. Which kind of makes sense because if um, everyone is a separate world and it's, it's hard to know since everyone is so isolated and individual... You, I mean, everyone asks themselves the same question. Am I normal? Right? Is what I'm going through normal? This is why support groups are so incredibly effective. Because all of a sudden you sit down with a group of people and you find out they're all experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing. And you are so relieved. Now, wh- why? Because part of what you're experiencing is that I'm normal. Like, this is like a normal response to you know, the pressure that I'm under or the tragedy that I suffered or, or whatever it is. So, so when you see a reality compellingly, convincingly, persuasively portrayed in terms of Hollywood, in terms of the, the whole advertising industry, there's a sense that that is normal and I am not normal. So this is one of the big Obstacles, one of the big challenges to understanding and appreciating what this, what this lifetime actually is all about. Because our expectations are constantly getting thrown off and confused. I, 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 I know someone who lived a very hard life and, and died young, unfortunately. Anyway, and this is a story they, they, they related at one point in their life where they had been going through a, a lot of hard things, and they loved movies. They loved movies. And this was such a special person, really, tremendous person. Neshama should have an Aliyah. They were sitting in the movie theater. They finally got a, a, a break from, from all the stress that they were under. They were able to sit down in a movie theater, and the movie started... And this is what they reported back, because even they were sort of surprised by 
this first thought that went into their mind when the movie started, which was, ah, back to reality. Again, again, we get so confused. What's real? What isn't real? What, what, what are we supposed to expect, you know? And, and the rhythms of life, there is a real genuine rhythm to this world. And it's so much different from what we think it is. Um, I saw a thought in the name of Rav Huttner. Um, it, it was brought uh, to help explain this, this idea that, that, um, that the Torah's teaching should fall like rain. And so it's sort of like, well, why like rain? How does something grow like rain um, compared to a different form of growth? like um, construction, like building a building. So how would you contrast these two things? So Rav Huttner says the following, which is that with a construction site, if you want it to go faster, you hire more workers, you work them around the clock and things like this, and you can, you can get your structure up faster. But when it comes to agriculture, you can't stand over an apple tree and go, no, where are the apples? Come, let's go. You know, I'm not getting any younger. Faster. It, it doesn't work. In other words, there's a, there's a, there's a rhythm to, to, to God's time. There's a rhythm to, to, to the natural order of things, to, to really this, this world, that as we've become more urbanized and as um, technology has infiltrated every aspect of our life, has suggested a completely different rhythm, which is not really matching the, the, the primary rhythm of our life. And so it throws expectations in the craziest way. I know right now with my laptop, when I press, there's a little menu bar on the bottom. When I press the text button, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but the text screen, when I first got this computer, the text screen would jump up instantaneously. Now I've got to wait like 30 seconds for the text screen to, to pop up. And it's like I'm ready to get a new computer. But genuinely, I'm actually ready to get a new computer. Okay, for other reasons too, but, but this drives me crazy. What are we talking? 30 seconds. It's crazy. It's crazy that I'm thrown out of whack by 30 seconds. But I, I say that because I don't think that I'm alone in that way. It, it seems like a, a, like a, like, well, that's, why that's inexcusable. <laughs> you know, your lateness is inexcusable. Hodgkins, you know, like, really. Um, so, so Shabbos is a big antidote to this. Shabbos gets us back in sync with the normal rhythms of, of what reality is. Of course, the Yom Tovim, the holidays, get us back in sync to what normalcy is. Um, I want to suggest something else, which is that, because that's just once a week, or, you know, holidays are occasional. I want to suggest another antidote to realigning the, the, the rhythms of your day, which is, um, what's called his bodidus. What Rabbi Nachman, Breslov Hasidus, is really, this is one of the foundations of that. What his bodidus is, is 
It's a fancy word, but it's a, it's a very simple thing. It's, it's basically just talking to God like he's your best friend. And it's, it's so someone, I, I was sharing this with someone and they said, well, oh, so like, for instance, if you, um, you're driving in your car and then you get a parking space and you go, ah, thank you, God, so much for the parking space. So, so not quite. Not, not, that's, not, that's not quite what I'm talking about. That, that's very good. And, and everyone should be able to have this sort of like ongoing dialogue throughout the day um, with, with God. That, that's, that's fantastic. You can do this. That's called dveikas kite. That's, that's sort of like the, the hallmark. That's cleaving to God, having this very close relationship where you're experiencing this entire material universe as an interface between you and God so that all of all of your activities, everyone you talk to is an ongoing conversation and interaction with God. That, that, that's a very high level. But his bodhidus, this talking to God, which I, I talked about a moment ago, which is like sort of like being able to reinstill the natural rhythms of the universe, the real rhythms of the universe, into, into, into the week, into daily life, to, to, main, to maintain hold of reality, if you will, is a little bit different. So what's that? That's taking a little bit more time, a block of time out, and, and I, I, I think Rabbi Nachman recommends an hour, but I think that this is something that, that most people would really have to build up to, and, and so don't get um, blinded by that, but just hear you know, the true source to begin with. But, but let's, let's talk about five minutes. You know, let's talk about ten minutes, whatever it is. Let's talk about three minutes. Um, you, you sit down and you, you have a conversation. That's the key word, a conversation with God. Now, here's the thing. You won't hear necessarily, you, well, probably, you, you're not going to hear God answer back. But something happens when you start talking to God like he's your best friend. And I'll give you just, I'm going to make up a little bit of dialogue right now, but you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about when I say the word conversation. You'll start going, you know something, uh, I'm having such trouble with, uh, with this area of my life. It's just, it's been so hard for me and... I just, well, yeah, maybe I could try something a little bit different. So you see, like, there, you, just, you just responded to something. There was no divine voice that, that steered you in a different direction. But all of a sudden, a conversation took place. You started to respond to yourself. So, so it's not just talking like a monologue. If you really talk to God from your heart, you are going to respond to the very things that you're saying. And this whole conversation will take place. Now, there's a key word in all the Hasidic svarim. It's called birur, which means clarification. So one of the great goals of every person is really, it's, it's what we call tikkun nefesh, fixing your soul. And, and the, one of the essential sort of like aspects of that is sort of like clarifying what's going on within yourself. And, and one of the ways to do that is to talk it through. Because when you actually talk it through and then you respond to yourself and you come up with new ideas and you come up with different approaches and things like that and things that maybe you're doing wrong that you never really gave enough attention to. Things like this. Or conversations that you really should have with people that you've been avoiding and things like that. What happens is there's a, there's a clarification that's going on within yourself. And, and, and you're able to serve God in a straighter way. But, 
Let's get back to restoring these natural rhythms. What happens is, there's, remember, talking, talking is huge. One of the, 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 the defining aspects of our humanity is that we are a species that talks. Okay, that's, 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 that can't be overemphasized. It can't be overemphasized. Our, our ability to talk is what, 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 what separates us. Now, remember, on a more mystical level, on a more Kabbalistic level, we say that God created the world through speech. Okay, God doesn't have a mouth. Does, God doesn't have a body. Nonetheless, we say God spoke the world, or as Reb Shlomo said, God sang the world into, into creation. Okay, so you see that speech and creation is is a very, very powerful thing. Um, you know, how are friends made? How are, how are friends made? Um, if you think about it, it's just very, very simple. You know, I met this guy, and we sat down. We had so much in common. We were talking about this. We were talking about that. The conversation flowed so smoothly. Isn't that interesting? That there is a 100% direct correlation between talking and friendship? A 100% correlation. So what happens when you talk to God? And so someone said to me, well, oh, I talk to God three times a day. That's, you know, right? It's a, it's a morning, afternoon, and evening. That's Shachris Min Chabarev. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Rabbi Nachman's talking about. That's that's a script. Okay, so there are certain moments in the in 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 in, in that davening where you can sort of like, um, you know, freestyle, right? Like in Shema Koleinu, there's a little section there where you just talk from your heart. It's not what we're talking about right now. It's also good. It's also special. Also important. But this is you are generating all the content of this stuff, right? And, and, and what results is, from that talking to God, is a genuine friendship with God. God. God leaves the realm of being an abstract idea in your head and becomes a reality in your life. It, it, it's, really kind of, it's really kind of funny, you know? There are certain problems which seem so existential, so, so mysterious, that you think that they can't possibly have solutions. They can't possibly have answers. The, the questions and the dilemmas, the mysteries are too vast. Right? Like, can you imagine there's this thing, we should know from it, called polio. How can... Polio ever get cured? It's just this affliction on humanity. And then all of a sudden you go, okay, you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you mix it together, gone. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? There's a solution? There's an answer? How could that be? How, how can God ever be like this friendly, real presence in my life? I'm not holy. I don't have a white beard down to my toes. I don't spend all day, you know, on a mountaintop. What, what are you telling me that, that, that God can be a real 
friendly, supportive presence in my life. That's like, I don't, you're talking to the wrong guy. There is no answer to that. It's too mysterious. And now all of a sudden we have a direct answer. You talk to God like he's your best friend for a period of time. Every day, ideally, every day. And then what happens is you now have an anchor for the real rhythm of the world. Because at that moment, you've tied yourself into God. You've tied yourself into reality on an ongoing basis. Right? See, can you imagine you're, 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 you're looking at the portrayals of reality in, in advertisements and you're looking at the portrayal of realities in movies. And the problem is, is that we don't have something more real than that. That's why it's so overwhelming to us. But what if you did have something that's more real than that? What if you had a genuine relationship with God? Then all of a sudden you are impervious to those other forces. Right? You know, I I once came up with this formulation, and I just ask you to just really think about this, because it's going to sound so simple that it's going to go in one ear and out the other, okay? So just try to just hear what I'm about to say. You can either look at life through the lens of the things that you have, or you can look at life through the lens of the things that you don't have, (laughs) And you can choose, you can choose how you want to live your life. You can look, you can choose to go through life looking at life through all the things that you have. That's your choice. And can I tell you something? When you have that, you know, my father said something to me toward the end of his life that I just, I was just so warmed by. And I was just, I was just like, wow, dad. You're great, you know? He said to me, you know, I'm not jealous of anybody. I'm not jealous of anyone. And I love that so much. I love that so much. Because he was someone who was going through life looking through the lens of what he had, not what he didn't have. And he lived a completely different life because of it. So, so getting back to ourselves, getting back to our true selves, is really one of the giant aspects of what this cycle of Rosh Hashanah, or let's start with Elul, Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Aseris Yemei Tshuva, the 10 days of Tshuva, Yom Kippur, and now Sukkot. Getting back to what this world is and who we are and what we're doing is, is, is so much of what we can reap from, from these times, okay? Now, I'll tell you something, which is just, it, it just blows my mind every time I think about it. God sends us into this hut and some of these sukkahs are, you know, some are super pretty and everything like that, but a lot of them are really super basic and they're made out of materials by design, by the way, that 
they could have been built 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, right? And God sends us from our homes into this hut and then declares, this is the time of your happiness. (laughs) So you, like, on the face of it, you might go, what? (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting in a little shack where if there's any permanence to it, it's not kosher. If you say, okay, look, these, these walls, are they're, they're, they're like sheets blowing in the wind, you know? By the way, they can't blow too much in the wind. They, they can billow, but they can't just blow back and forth. Otherwise, it's not a kosher sukkah. It's got to be a wall, not just a sheet. So, so you say, I'm, I'm sitting in this temporary structure that could break down at any moment, and that's, that's right. That's, that's exactly right, yes. And, and we realize... One of the messages, just straight away, is God is telling us you don't need much to be happy. You know, I, I, I'm, I've been thinking about this example where, I know I experienced this, where, you know, I gave one of my children a, a, a present, and, you know, he spent the next 20 minutes just delightedly playing with the wrapping paper, right? Not even knowing, like, there's something in the box. Just, oh, the wrapping paper, it's so great. And it's sort of like, God says, okay, this is your time of happiness. You ready? I'm giving you a twig to shake. <laughs> you know, so you're like, and that's, in other words, what do we need to be happy? What do we really need to be happy? There are companies whose survival is bent on convincing you unless you have their product, you cannot be happy. That's their entire mission because they want to sell it to you. So they think, if, you, if we can tell you, you'll be more happy with our product, so then they have to think of ingenious ways to tell you that you'll be more happy with our product. And one of the ways that they'll do it is telling you, you will be miserable without our product. So your baseline is misery unless you buy our product. Which is the opposite of what Hashem is saying, which is that you are happy. You are born happy. <laughs> you actually don't need all these things that everyone is telling you that you need. So, you know, one of the zeitgeist phenomena, phenomenons, I don't know, of the last year, I'm, I'm forgetting her name right now, um, is this uh, woman uh, who is on Netflix, who's telling you all about getting rid of all your junk, simplifying your life, go through your house, clean out all your junk, give it away, throw it away, whatever it is. And I haven't seen the show, but I've been told that that as you go through your stuff, here's how she says, you take the object and you put it next to you or put it to your chest or whatever it is and say, does this bring me joy? And if you don't feel like Something going on inside you, give it away. You don't need it. You don't need it. So, so you know, it says, um, the nations of the world have wisdom. But, but we have Torah. Torah is even higher than wisdom. It's divine wisdom, okay? But in other words, the, the, the nations, the, the, the world understands that we have gotten to this point of absurdity in terms of 
thinking that possessions are going to bring us joy. So the sukkah is coming to tell us, okay, just all you you need is God. It's you and God. All you need is God. And that you're being embraced by God at every single moment. Right? Because you can believe in God all day long. You can believe that God made the world and you can believe that God gave us the Torah and you can believe that every letter of the Torah and every crown, every single letter of the Torah is from God. But unless you understand that God is good, you're not believing in God like Jews believe in God. You might, you might believe in a God and he might be extremely Jewish adjacent. <laughs> But this is not the God that Judaism is talking about. The God that Judaism is talking about is good. And we have to be aware of his goodness. It's a, it's a core, core understanding of, of what this is. Because if you don't understand that ultimately you're in a benign environment, that this life is ultimately, even with all of its war, with all of its sickness, with all of its hardship, with all of its you know, wickedness. That this realm is good. That God means good by us in terms of bringing us here. Unless you understand that as your core reality, you're never going to make it. You might live a version of a life, but you're not going to live the life that the Torah is talking about. That God created the entire world for us to experience. So I want to share with you something that, that sort of, you know, just kind of like, is like over Yom Kippur. There was something that I, I, I really wanted to share, which was, you know, there's a special law. By the way, on Yom Kippur, everyone knows it anyway. Let's just review it because I want to tell you something special, which is that all, all of the person-to-God-related um, problems, like, okay, I, I, I didn't keep Shabbos, I, I, I didn't keep kosher, whatever it was, or I broke it this time or that time, or whatever it is, all the person-to-God-related things, if, if a person really strives to, to be better, those are forgiven on, on, on Yom Kippur. It's a, it's a very great thing. But the person-to-person stuff, that, that a person has to take care of, right? Because... What kind of religion would we be, actually? Like, when I first found that out, I was very frustrated. I thought, whoa, I thought Yom Kippur was greater than that. I thought Yom Kippur was like a really a clean slate. But can I tell you something? If I stab you in the back, and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, I received forgiveness from God. You received forgiveness from God? What about me? <laughs> right? Would that be a just religion? If, if all of a sudden God wipes away the, the insensitivity and the... And the, and, the, and the criminality that you did with other people? It's not right. And, 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 and as it should be, Yom Kippur does not forgive that. So you have, to take that, you have to take care of that with other people. Okay. Having said that, here's what I want to tell you. Let's say you go up to a person and you apologize to them and they say, get out of my face. And it's like, wow, okay. Okay, this is bad. And then you come up to them a separate time, right? Can, this can't all be done one, two, three at once. Come up to them another time. 
listen, I know you're really upset. I, I feel terrible. I, I don't know how, why I did this. I, I'm really sorry. Get out of here. They kick you out again. A third time. They, they try it again. They, they kick you out a third time. Right? So the halacha is you did what you could do. You tried three times. It didn't work. You, you've done, you, you, you've done what you can do, and, and that's what it is. Okay? Okay, so now, with that as background, let me, let me give you the following situation. Imagine you come to yourself and ask yourself for forgiveness, and you refuse to give yourself forgiveness. See, to me, this is like totally heartbreaking because in this situation, you control the situation. You control the situation. Like, for instance, imagine you take out a bank loan and you default on the bank loan. You just can't pay the bank back. And then you go, bless you, you go to speak to the president of the bank and you open up the door and the president of the bank is you. <laughs> Can you imagine? So I shared that with someone who is wrestling with this idea, wrestling with the idea that they need to forgive themselves and they can't. And they said, well, if I'm the president of the bank, then I'm not going to forgive myself because then if I keep on forgiving loans like this, the bank is going to go out of business. I said, I didn't give that as the example. You put that on the example. You're completely in control of giving forgiveness. You put that on. That's not part of the example. We, we, we have to be real. We have to be real. We are where we are in life. And if we believe in God, if we really believe in God, and we believe in God's goodness, we have to believe that we're here at this place in life and that that is also God's will. And now... Let's begin again. Let's begin again from a standpoint of where I am right now and what I can do right now to still sort of be involved in this kind of relationship with me at the age of 14 or me at the age of 20 and I'm trying to get myself back on track from where I should have been from the age of 20 or 14 or whatever it is, or 26 or 30 or whatever it is, and I'm living my entire relationship with myself now and myself as a mid-20-year-old, garnished, enough, get rid of it. It's not reality. It's just in your mind. It's fantasy. You are where you are right now. You are who you are right now. That's what it is. And if God is good and God is good, then this is also from God. Okay, so you want to make a change? You want to do something different? Fine, but now as your baseline, use yourself who you are right now. This is living in Emmis. This is truth. All the rest is delusion. This is truth. You know, I wanted to say like this. There are two people who don't go to the doctor. One person who's not feeling sick and another person who is feeling sick but he's afraid what the doctor's going to say. 
Hashem, it says, Hashem, Ani, Hashem, Rofecha. God says, I am Hashem, your healer. Don't you think Hashem already knows what we have? <laughs> Whatever it is that we have. God already knows what we have. So who are we hiding it from? You know, someone came into the, uh, to the, to the Chos of Lublin. Said the Chos of Lublin was like the reincarnation of the prophet Yeshaya. And uh, one of the greatest Hasidic masters. And it says that he could read on your forehead past lives, whatever it is, whatever you had done wrong, whatever, just everything. So someone walks into the Chos of Lublin covering their forehead, with their hand over their forehead. And, and, and the Chosa says to him, I can see! Do you think Hashem can see? So, so God already knows. So what are, we, what are we hiding from? What are we hiding from? Let's just be real. Let's be real. You know, when my father, Allah Shalom, got cancer... He said, um, he said to me, these words, and I'm quoting him. He said to me, he said, it's the beginning of an adventure. Can you imagine? He had his leg amputated to, to stop the spread of it. And with one leg, he traveled around the world. So, you know, I don't know if my father said this or if I said it. I don't know. But it's, it's a good thing. To, it's a good thing. A little of something is better than a truckload of nothing. And a lot of us want to ride around because it looks good. It's a, it's a, it's a truck. But it's a truckload of nothing. <laughs> Okay, so you don't have a truck. You're walking around, and you, what you have is a, a, a little something in your pocket. But at least it's 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 at least it's something. You know, there there's stories of, of 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 peddlers on the Lower East Side who who had like a pot, and then they traded the pot for you know a chicken, and then they traded the chicken for like you know whatever two two eggs, and they traded the two eggs for whatever. You know, and, and then the next thing you know, they, they had like a business. And then from the business, they had, you know, different branches of the business. And what did they do? They started with something, a little something, and then they traded it to something a little bit more. And they actually built up something real. Instead of having a little something in their pocket and saying, what do I have? I have a little something in my pocket. That person's got a whole department store over there. And this person over here has a whole shipping company. Who am I kidding? Why should I even try? But, but one thing that, that Torah is telling us, and especially if you look in the deeper sources, reality is dynamic. It's dynamic. It's, it's, the world is constantly being created and recreated which is the greatest consolation that we're not stuck because it's just, it's just, it's constantly like a kaleidoscope. It's constantly turning. It's constantly turning. 
new openings, new openings, new relationships. It's, it's, it's constantly going on. And it's just on us. How, how, how actively do we want to engage with that dynamic structure? And, and there's, there's this voice of death inside of us which just wants to keep us in a place of paralysis. That, that wants to tell us, I tried, I tried. I tried, I tried. What do you want from me? I tried, I already tried. But you know something? If you're in a room and you're locked in a room, right? And you say, how many times can I check the door? The door is bolted shut. How many times do you want me to check the bolted sh- door? You know? But what if I told you, yeah, but, but since the last time you checked that bolted door, there's a new door on the other side of the room. <laughs> Did you check that? Well, I didn't even look. And what about that window there? That, that's been there since the new door on the, on, the, on the other side of the room like popped up. Did you check that? Oh, I, I didn't notice there's a window. Oh, yeah, there is a window there. That, that's, that's what I mean by reality is dynamic. That's what I mean. Right? So let's get back to expectations. Because the way I began was saying that if we could understand where we actually were, right? And that's why I'm saying that getting in tune with it, the, the, the real core natural rhythms of this world of reality. If we can get in tune with that, then we can stay in this, in, in reality, basically. And, 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 and you realize... First of all, you need patience because the model is not a construction site like Rav Huttner was saying. The, the, the model is actually agricultural, which is, you know, it takes longer for crops to yield. It takes months for crops to yield. That, that, that's, that's the natural order, okay? So, so we have to rejigger our minds and it's very, very, very hard to do. And believe me, I know from my own life, and I'm not... This is very, very hard to do what I'm saying. But it is essential if, you, if we want to move forward together, right? And that's... We have to understand... Look, here's a story. I heard this from Rabbi Tversky. And I remember he said that he saw it on the Internet. So it's not a classic Jewish source, but it's good. So there's a man, and he's got... This, you know, this mountain outside behind his house, right? And he gets this inspiration, right? This heavenly inspiration that, that he's supposed to push the mountain, right? So he, he gets in his mind the idea that my job is to move this mountain. And so every day he goes up to the mountain and he he tries to move the mountain and it's an impossible task because how can you move a mountain and he's trying and he's trying and he's trying and he's trying over a period of time and at a certain point he gives up he goes this is ridiculous you can't move a mountain and after he gives up he receives that same bless you he receives that same divine inspiration telling him the following thing I didn't tell you to move the mountain. I told you to push the mountain. I'll move the mountain. 
Our job is not to get results. That sounds strange. I'm going to say it again because I mean it. Our job is not to get results because results are in the hands of God. Moving the mountain is in the hands of God. Our job is just to push the mountain. Our job is to keep on trying. Our job is to keep on trying. And if you can make that separation in your mind, if you can make that separation in, in, your, in your mind, then you change your expectations. See, let me, let me tell you why this is so psychologically important. Because if you think your job is to move the mountain, then at a certain point, you become frustrated, you take it personally, you experience it as personal failure. And then at a certain point, self-preservation kicks in and you have to protect yourself from this truckload of negativity because otherwise you can't function, you can't get out of bed. But if you say, well, wait a second, let's move all of that to the side. And what is actually my job? My job is just to push the mountain, right? My job is just to try just to try and try and try and try, and that I can't control results no matter what. See, if, you, if, you, if a person is, this is where humility actually really becomes a lifesaver. If a person is humble enough to know that they're not in control of results, then they don't mind trying as much, right? Because I'm not in con- control of results anyway. So if I, if I succeed, great, that's a gift from God. If I don't succeed, Well, I can't succeed anyway. Because I can't move the mountain. God's going to move the mountain. So if I'm just in charge of pushing, if I'm just in charge of trying, then I can engage life in a way where my personal honor, where my personal sense of esteem is not constantly on the line. Because I know I can't succeed even if I try. All I can do is try. And if I continue to try, then I'm doing my job then you're actively engaging with the dynamism of life. Because then you're there for when that door opens, you're there for when that door opens. Because of your series of efforts. You're all of a sudden first in line. You know, everyone's experienced this at some point in their life. You're at the supermarket, and then someone says, we're opening up a new aisle, right? Another cashier comes, and you're first in line, and you're just like, yes! (laughs) Right? Then that happens. At a certain point, if you keep on trying, right? At a certain point, you just find that the opportunity, so to speak, solidifies around you. But that won't happen unless you're constantly out there. And you can't constantly be out there unless you realize that results are not in your hands. You see, you take a tremendous burden off of yourself if you say, I can't succeed even if I try. It's all in God's hands. But I can keep on trying. Right? I'll tell you a Torah that I heard one time that made me uh, very happy. I I heard this from Gedalia Gerfai. One of my favorite teachers of Torah in the world. And he said said the following. He said the word parnosa. Parnosa means um, livelihood. Right? That means... You have a job, right? So it's a big deal. Parnosa is a very big deal. Okay. He says, Parnosa comes from, is a combination of two words, par and nace. Par means difficult, like paro, like pharaoh was very difficult, right? 
Par means difficult. Nes means a miracle. So, so Parnosia, a person's livelihood, would be then translated as a difficult miracle. So now the following question is, who is it difficult for? Right? It's not difficult for God. Everything's easy for God. And it's not difficult for us. It's impossible for us. <laughs> so who is it difficult for? So the answer is, it's difficult to believe that God is going to do it. <laughs> Very hard to have faith that God is actually going to bring it. Because it's sort of like, you know, having experienced unemployment in my life. I know when you, know, when you don't have a job, it's like, where am I going to get a job? Where's it going to come from? I, how am I going to do that? And, and you really feel the impossibility of it. And then you get a job. And you go, oh my God, thank you God. Thank you God. Thank you. Right? So, 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 so we have to, it's kind of funny, but we have to make life a little less personal <laughs> in this way. You know, and, and this is just like a different way of thinking. I'm, I'm calling on a different way of thinking. See, because if you want to actually experience personal transformation, and I heard this idea from the Chedush Rim, okay? It's from the, the first Ger Rebbe. I'm going to put it in my words, but this is what he's saying. And see, imagine I'm overeating. I'm just like, uh, whatever it is. Just very hard for me. I, I just get hungry and whatever it is. And by the way, on a very practical level, if a person is overeating... I recommend going to a nutritionist, okay? Because a nutritionist can give you certain pieces of information which can actually be keys and solutions that you will never arrive at otherwise. And I'll give you an example. There would be a time, I, I remember I, I, I was at a job and they had a little kitchenette area and it would be about, I don't know, 4 p.m. I'd get so hungry and I'd say to myself, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to eat right. So I'd go and I'd eat an apple. And I'd tear through the apple. And I wouldn't be full at all. And I'd say, you know what? I'm going to eat. There's an orange here. I'll eat the orange. I'm going to eat right. Eat, tear through the orange. Not, not, still craving food. Very hungry. Then I'd say, okay, have another apple. I'd have another apple. I'm being serious now. Still equally hungry. Or maybe I'd be a little less hungry, but still hungry. The nutritionist told me, you need protein. That's not protein. That's why you're still hungry. Have some peanut butter. Have like a scoop of peanut butter. You can have it with your apple or whatever it is. And then when I discovered that, this is what I'm talking about. There, there are solutions to problems that seem completely impossible to solve. There are actually answers out there, okay? So I, I recommend seeing a, a nutritionist, okay? But think for things like that. They can give you other suggestions like that. So, so imagine, anyway, I'm still overeating, and it's like cake and cookies and all, and all the rest, and gaining weight. I don't, I, I don't want to gain this weight. And, and, and Okay, so, so here's one resolution that I can make. I can say, in the coming year, I'm going to... Um, I'm, I'm going to try to eat less cookies and cake, less dessert, 
right? Maybe I'll have dessert on Shabbos, but during the week I'm not going to have dessert. You make some sort of resolution like that. Okay. That's one way to do it. But then there's a higher way to do it. And this is what the Chidush Herim is saying. And he's talking about in general. I'm just making it about eating right now, but this is for everything, okay? You think of yourself as, I'm a healthy eater. And you know what? A healthy eater doesn't eat cookies and cake all day. In other words, you think of yourself as that different person. You, you are that different person. And that different person doesn't engage in this behavior. See, the first example that I gave you, you're still an overeater. But as an overeater, I'm eating less cookies and cake as an overeater. But in the other example, there's a transformation that's taken place. And now you know what I am? I'm a healthy eater. And healthy eaters don't eat cookies and cake all day. Healthy people exercise on a regular basis. Not I'm a slob and I got to get myself to the gym. And how am I going to get myself to the gym when I'm a slob? No, I'm 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 a healthy, active person. Healthy, active people go and they, they, they exercise on a regular basis. That, that this is, you know, I, I am someone who's serious about having a relationship, the most meaningful relationship that I can have in my entire life, with God. I'm serious about that. Okay, so of course I'm, I'm learning a little bit of Torah every day. I'm talking to God. Of course I'm doing that, because that's what someone who's serious about these things, who really wants to have this type of relationship, is what they do. When you, if you can think of yourself in a different way, think about the person who you want to be, then all of a sudden those other things kind of, I'm not saying the challenges disappear, but you approach them in significantly different ways. All right, well, let's just uh, wrap it up. I'll tell you something, uh, Torah from Rabbi Mati Berger that I heard many years ago that's really stayed with me. Now, we're talking about this relationship, and, and, and by the way, listen, we should all be blessed with all the beautiful things that we want, but you know something? When all is said and done, Everything can be taken away from a person except their relationship with God. That's just the truth. Which means that if we want to get to the core of the core of the core of our life, that's what it is. It's us and God. That's because everything else can be taken away. So whatever can't be taken away must be the foundation. So so that's why it's so essential. That's that's. It's everything. And, and if you have that, you have everything. So with that in mind, I want to tell you what Rabbi Berger said. He said, you know, in terms of a relationship, because this is all about a relationship with the one who made the whole world, who made us, who's keeping us alive, who loves us the most. When you have a relationship, and let's say one person is calling, texting, whatever it is, the other person every day, and the other person responds once a month, 
calls the person back once a month or texts the person back once a month. So here's the question that he asks. Do you have an everyday relationship or do you have a once a month relationship? And the answer is you have a once a month relationship because a relationship is, de- is, is, is defined by the person who's less involved in the relationship because that's the baseline of the relationship. Okay? So with that in mind, there's something very inspiring actually that comes out of it, which is that God is calling us 24-7 <laughs> just by virtue of the fact that we're alive. The phone is literally ringing 24-7. And then it's up to us how often we want to pick up the phone. Or text back, right? It's up to us. So we actually get to determine the intensity of the relationship. Which is awesome. Because it's sort of like, imagine you meet someone like fancy. I, I just read this newspaper article. I don't want to go into the names because it's, it's not a happy story. But But anyway, this person developed a relationship with with really one of the most famous people in the in the entire world. And I'm sure he felt pretty cool having developed this relationship with one of the most famous, significant people in the world. And he saw him a few times, you know, and then he writes in his memos, whatever it is. He, he stopped calling me. <laughs> and that was it. Like, at some point, this person who's, you know, I know the names, but person who anyone would want to sort of like count as an acquaintance, it's sort of like, wow, you're like, you know him? He's coming to your house? Oh my goodness. You're like, wow. All of a sudden, that guy just was like, no more. <laughs> Like the idea that we can be involved in a relationship with the master of the universe and he never wants to cut the relationship off with us. (laughs) Ever. Ever. And actually the ball is in our hands. Can you imagine? So that should make us feel tremendously empowered. <coughs> Bless you. Tremendously empowered. And um, there's so much more to say, but, you know, that's it for now. And just, let's just, uh, just look forward to, to great, great things. Yeah. I'd like to add one more thought. Um, this, this question came to me uh, Friday night on the last Shabbos of the year, uh, davening at the, the base medrash, the, the study hall of the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov in, in Mezhbush, which was, why aren't we finishing the Torah on this last Shabbos of the year? We should be reading the last portion of the Torah, you know, on the last Shabbos of the year. And then on the first Shabbos of the year, we'll, we'll, we'll begin again. It's a, it, I gave an answer to that earlier, but um, but this question has many sort of um, facets to it. Um, I, I'll give you another version of the same question, which is why why um, are we only reading Breshis after we finish Simcha's Torah? In other words, we're only starting the Torah um, several weeks into the into the beginning of the year. So why are we only reading about Breshis? 
on uh, after Simcha's Torah? Or I'll give you another version of the same question. Why aren't we reading Breshis on Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is talking about the creation of the entire world. So Breshis obviously means in the beginning, I mean, or with beginnings, out of beginnings. So, so why not read that on Rosh Hashanah? And now I'll give you another variation of the question, which is the one that I actually want to try to give an answer to, which is why on the first Shabbos of the year, are, 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 we, re, are we reading Hazina? Okay, you hear, you hear this version of the question? Why on the first Shabbos of the year are we reading Hazina? So Hazina, just so you know, is um, it's one of the last parshas of the Torah. And not only that, but it's um, in two long columns. I remember when the Twin Towers fell, because they look like two towers on, on the Torah, Torah parchment. That was when we were reading Hazina, you know, it was right, right, like when you'd hold up the Torah, you'd see the two towers, and the two towers that just fell it was pretty remarkable. But um, but anyway, Hazina is a long poem, and it's a very, very, very complicated uh, poem to understand. It's talking about the end of days, and it's all, all sorts of things. You have to read many Torah commentaries that all kind of give a different facet of what what what, what, what this poetry of, uh, is, is actually trying to communicate. So, <clears throat> so, so our question is, why is it on the, the first Shabbos of the year, okay, this is now the new year, and it's like, what are we reading in the Torah? Something very, very hard to understand what it means. That's our welcome to the year? That's our welcome to the year? So um, at least this year, the answer is 100%. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So why would that be? So I'd like to give the following answer. And um, I'm thinking of a quote that I heard in the name of um, Vladimir Nabokov, the the novelist. And he, he wrote to his critics one time. He wrote, please do not understand me too quickly. And I feel like I feel like on some level, on a deep level, Hashem is telling us, you know something, you're entering into this world and don't understand it too quickly. In other words, we, we want to say, okay, these are my eyes and here are my feet and that's a wall and, you know, there's the sun and and I, I, I get it, you know, I'm hungry, I need to eat, you know, <laughs> so, so the, the the basic contours of reality are are pretty straightforward it's 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 what my eye can see what my brain can understand this is this is kind of what it is and yet as we grow in wisdom we understand that there's so much more to reality than what the eye can see and so appropriately so god begins the first torah portion of the of the year with with his very complex poem, right? With its own rhythm, with its own structure. And God is saying, you know something? It's, this world is, is even more than what you're able to fathom. And if you understand that as your, as your introduction to the world, that, that amidst the levels of the natural order is also the, the infinite interwoven in, in, in every aspect of the natural order and that the two are coexisting together and that ultimately it's it's tangible and, and beyond all at the same time, 
then you are being appropriately introduced to this realm that we dwell in.